HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Meet and 3 is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. Learn about the wonderfully tart Montmorency cherry at choosecherries.com. I think as cooks, we're always trying to sort of cook our way out of crisis. Uh, we cook for charities. We cook when we're happy. We cook <laughs> when we're sad. Sometimes we cook with rage. And um, right now, we're not really allowed to do those things, at least not outside of our families. I have been making beautiful food for my family. And um, I don't make it as a salve. I make it because I need to, because my kids are home. But what I'm noticing is that I haven't done this for my children and they're eight and 10 years old. I have been cooking for other people in exchange for approval, money, and community my whole life. And I have not done this for my beautiful little kids. And the way that they are appreciating it is quite remarkable. That's Alex Reich, chef and owner of New York City restaurants, including Lavara, Quinto Pino, and St. Julie Vera Fishery. She appeared on episode 101 of The Line, a special on how COVID-19 has impacted the hospitality industry. Just as her life has changed, workers in all parts of the food industry, from farmers to cafe owners, have been forced to adapt to new regulations and social practices. Here at HRN, shows across the network, recorded from makeshift home studios, are diligently covering how those people have been affected by the coronavirus and what might happen in the future. Food Radio is going strong, and we're here to share some of the most poignant conversations from across the network. This week, we'll hear some of those stories and a few ways that you can help. I'm Hannah Forden, and this is Meet in 3. Meat and three. Meat and three. Meat and three. One meat, three sides. Food, news, and storytelling. A square meal for your ears. Meat and three. For our first story, we turn to opening soon for an in-depth look at mental health challenges and support systems during the COVID-19 crisis. In their most recent episode, Hosts Jenny and Alex talk with Kat Kinsman, the senior editor of Food & Wine magazine and the author of High Anxiety. Everybody in hospitality has these hours that are not typical human hours, and you do it to the exclusion of 
everything else in your life, weddings, funerals, births, deaths, you know, all, all of, all of this stuff. So all of a sudden you have nothing to do, but have all that time on your hands without work. And what are you going to do? So I've been really focused on talking to people about how they're trying to maintain some semblance of normality and whether that is still using kitchen language at your house, whether it's putting on your chef pants, you know, saying behind to your cats, you know, whatever it is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I think if you can maintain that vocabulary, it's, you know, and and I keep telling people you're still a chef, you are still a bartender, you're still a server, you're still, you know, whatever role you happen to have in in that ecosystem just because this thing happened to you you didn't screw up at all you didn't fail you nothing you didn't do anything wrong you know you still are in possession of all of those skills and you know that's still who you are you might have a little less structure right now and you might not have that daily community but you're still that person For a lot of people who rely on daily or weekly or even monthly or however, whatever your frequency is, um, you know, sobriety resources that they're used to having in person to maintain that is, you know, it's more crucial than ever because, you know, as Steve Palmer, who found founded the industry group Ben's Friends for people in recovery, says uh, isolation is the enemy of sobriety and mental health. So all of these things had to be ideally nationally uh, accessible, if possible, free or low cost and things that you were able to access from home. So have you seen organizations like Ben's Friends, which is such a, Steve actually came on the show earlier this um, season and they have like such an amazing organization. Um, for those people who don't know, it's specifically for hospitality and people who are in recovery. So have they, they are now doing Zoom meetings, do you know? Yes. Oh, so they're doing uh, not just the regional chapters, but having national Zoom meetings, which wow. I think is really a brilliant thing. And there are a whole lot of uh, local ones as well. So the group that does Chow, Colorado, hospitality I always screw up the last thing but it's uh, a few people in in, uh, Colorado who have these incredible meetings that and some of them are sobriety related some of them are uh, mental health and they're doing these virtual family dinners I think that are so important and online meetings and there are so many of these groups that have extended if people don't want to be culinary specific uh, there's a, a website called in the rooms that has a lot of Zoom meetings that are about all different kinds of uh, addictions, dependencies, and other conditions, um, because it's that connection is so vital. Steve was saying to me that you know he knew I could relate because I deal with mental health issues myself. That especially if you have depression or these these other things, a lot of a lot of us tend to go inward and not sort of say uh, you know out to other people, hey, I need help. You just sort of retreat into yourself. And that is the worst possible thing to do right now. And there should be no shame attached because everybody, there should never have been any shame, but everybody's going through it now. It's so true. I mean, and that is a really good point about the people who do often go inward. So what advice do you have? Like now that we are in this isolated place, like like business owners, should we be like reaching out to our employees and for people who we know who have struggled? Because now you're not seeing people day to day. It's how do you do that without being invasive. I mean, those check-ins are, I can't tell you what a lifeline they are. And I think it's okay. because So you don't want to feel like you're singling anybody out because that's always the thing. Cause I've, t- I've talked with a lot of people about like, how do I run lineup? How do I, you know, in, in the times, the before times about, you know, how do I, how do I make it? So I'm talking to my team about this. I'm not singling anybody out. And, you know, the solution was always just bring it up during 
you know, during lineup or, you know, family meal, whatever it happens to be when you're talking to your whole team to do that. So if you're a business owner, you know, send out an email blast or a text or whatever, however you communicate with your team to the whole team and just say like, hey, thinking about all of you checking in, you know, here are some resources. If it's somebody who you know on a personal basis, a really kind of thing that you can do, uh, you know, whether it's on a friend level, on a colleague level, is to say like, hey, I'm thinking about you and, you know, want to see how you're holding up. No need to respond if you don't. And I think that's a really, it was a gift that somebody gave me once when he knew that I was doing not really very well. He knew I didn't have the emotional energy to, to reach back at that time. And he said, you know, I just need you to know I'm thinking about you and I'm here if you need me, but didn't put the burden of a response on me. And that was incredibly generous and, and thoughtful of him. Listen to the full interview with Kat Kinsman on episode 37 of Opening Soon. And check out the Food & Wine Pro Guide to Mental Health and Sobriety Resources, which can be found on their website. As the restaurant industry grinds to a halt before our eyes, we turn our attention a little further up the supply chain to farms. On episode 392 of The Farm Report, Host Lisa Held spoke with chef Spike Jurdy. He owns celebrated restaurants in the D.C. area, including Woodbury Kitchen and Arik's Progress. In this conversation, Spike shares insight into how COVID-19 is impacting farmers. You work so closely with a lot of farmers. I mean, you depend on farmers. Everything you do is sort of based on what you get from farmers. Right. What are you hearing right now from the farmers that you work with in terms of how they're doing amid this crisis? One of the most satisfying things about what I've, the work that I've been doing for the last decade plus has been seeing how our farmers here have evolved and, and grown and just improved. And uh, one aspect of that is that... Um, we have tremendous amount of fresh local produce now here. You know, we're kind of tail end of winter that we would never have had 10 years ago, say. And what I'm hearing from growers right now is that that's piling up, essentially. Farmers that had production going in hoop houses and high tunnels and in greenhouses are now have no place to sell that. These are growers that we work with and that, who work with us and, and other restaurants um, all of us are closed down, and they don't have relationships or other outlets for it. Some are trying to kind of restart CSAs that they may have let go uh, in favor of doing restaurant sales. Uh, that's what I've heard. But basically, our conversations are like, how can we start to get this machine running again in a different way that doesn't involve guests coming in and sitting in the restaurant? And one of my main motivations is so that we can get these growers, get their products out there to folks that want it, and we can get growers paid. Right, so have people pick up produce here as well? Yep, yeah. we're talking curbside markets, and there, it's, it's great because there are a number of people here, I know in Baltimore and in D.C. that are thinking about this. I'm not the only, by any stretch, the only one who have recognized you know, that this is a, an acute issue with what's going on and that these farmers... Um, you know, one of the things that I, I, I think about when I think about this business is how closely, you know our interests and our, our fortunes are kind of aligned when it comes to 
Woodbury Kitchen and the farmers that we work with. And we've seen a year like 2018, which was devastatingly difficult weather-wise for farmers, and we suffered as well. And now we are all suffering again. Yeah. And some of those farmers are, are kind of pivoting. Like you said, they're doing bigger CSAs, trying to get more CSA signups, and then also are doing home delivery, which is, you know, they're, they're doing it because, like you said, they have all this produce that's piling up and they want to get it to people. They want people to be able to eat the, the food. But, I mean, there's a reason farmers don't do that generally, right? Because it's incredibly inefficient. And like, how will they, like, to me, that just seems like, how will they, how will they even execute that and and stay afloat? It seems like it would be really difficult. It's a sign of desperation already. And I think that's what, you know, I feel in some sense that the hospitality industry across this nation, and certainly here in Baltimore and Washington, we were hit kind of first. And I'm not in any way questioning the decisions that were made. I think that restaurants should have been closed down. I think that was a good call. I think it probably could have come earlier and it could have been more clearly handled. But when the call came, it absolutely makes sense to all of us that that's what needed to happen. But now we are in this in this situation. And, you know, it's confusing to me that a lot of the talk that, w- that I'm hearing now out of Washington is about a stimulus package. And I'm not sure what there is right now to stimulate. Um, we have folks that whose needs are immediate and and they are already, you know, facing very difficult circumstances because their livelihood has been cut off. Every part of the food system has been disrupted by this pandemic. And in the silver lining, we're seeing creative problem solving from food world leaders like Spike. To hear more of his story, listen to episode 392 of The Farm Report. We'll be right back with more of HRN's coronavirus coverage after the break. Do you want to stock your pantry with delicious food and support HRN in the process? Then subscribe to Bend to Table, a monthly delivery service of the best pantry ingredients in the world. For every purchase our listeners make, $10 will be donated to HRN. Get your first package today at bendatable.com and use code HRN for a $20 discount and an automatic donation. That's bendatable.com, code HRN. This episode of Meet and 3 is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee, representing 75% of U.S.-grown Montmorency tart cherry production. With over 100 articles published in health journals stating the vast health benefits of Michigan's superfruit, it's best to choose the cherry with more. U.S. Montmorency tart cherries. They're available year-round, dried, frozen, canned, juice, and concentrate. Learn more about the wonderfully U.S.-grown Montmorency tart cherry at choosecherries.com. Welcome back to Meet and 3. Over the past three weeks, Heritage Radio Network's community of hosts and producers have been recording from home. We've devoted our time to gathering stories from a restaurant world in crisis, to share resources and stories of hardship, along with real-time problem-solving. On episode 432 of HRN Snacky Tunes, which aired on March 18th, co-host Darren Bresnitz sat down remotely with Helen Rosner, food correspondent for The New Yorker, and they talked about the economic impacts of COVID-19. 
Helen explained that she started sharing links to restaurants' merchandise pages as a way to support the industry. And the response was immediate and tremendous. I started getting DMs from restaurants and from people who have no affiliation with restaurants at all, but just like have favorites from all over the country, Mm -hmm. sending me links to their merch pages. And I just started aggregating them on Instagram. And I learned very quickly that you can only post 100 Instagram story pages a day before they start cycling them out. Helen was excited by the response she got to her Instagram story. However, she still had concerns. But like, how long is that going to last? And that's what makes me nervous. I think that this is like, you know, GoFundMe for healthcare. It's a case-by-case stopgap treatment, and it doesn't really address the fact that we have this massive infrastructure of restaurants in the United States that props up its customers and also props up its employees Mm -hmm. that doesn't have any sort of security. You know, as if restaurants disappear, so much is going to go with it. Helen explained her hopes that the government would take action. On March 17th, President Donald Trump spoke with executives from major restaurant companies to talk about how to deal with the coronavirus. Helen said restaurateur David Chang was critical of the meeting because independent restaurants were not represented. What Chang has been tweeting about, I think, with incredible articulation, is the fact that these independent restaurants are actually the lifeblood of America. I mean, I think the majority of restaurants in the U.S. are independently owned, and the majority of employment at these restaurants is it's not being funneled through some, like, megalithic corporation. Restaurants have become desperate. It was a restaurateur in Nashville, and she was saying that one of her friend's restaurants had been destroyed by the tornadoes a couple of weeks ago, and that she was actually, like, jealous of her friend because the fact that her restaurant was destroyed by tornadoes meant that she got an insurance payout. As the situation continues to change, it's important for people to support restaurant workers. You can listen to that interview and learn more ways you can help, like donating to the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation Fund or the One Fair Wage Emergency Fund. You can also check out what local restaurants are doing for relief. Helen especially urged people to donate to the worker funds of individual restaurants. But if you give to these worker relief funds, you can make sure that your money is also going directly into the pockets of the dishwashers and the busboys and the employees who might end up getting left behind if the business decides that they have to close or they have to lay off or furlough their workers. To see Helen's Instagram stories, you can follow her handle at Helen R. This interview appeared on Snacky Tunes, episode 432, Restaurants in the Time of Corona. Eli Sussman, the host of HRN's The Line, has been compiling personal accounts from chefs and restaurant owners from across the country about the impact COVID-19 is having on the hospitality industry. In our final segment, you'll hear directly from one Brooklyn-based cafe owner about the difficult decisions she has had to make as a result of the pandemic. Hello, my name is Hannah Jacobs. I own and operate Baby Dudes with my partner, Tolly. Baby Dudes is located in Crown Heights. It's a 19-seat cafe and coffee shop. We opened January 19th of 2000, and, sorry, January 1st of 2019. We were just headed into our second year open as this uh, pandemic has hit, um, forcing us to close. 
some of the overwhelming feelings are disappointment and a little bit of like all of the work and effort and time and heartache and sweat that we put into the last year is kind of in vain. Um, mostly just because, you know, having all of that momentum and feeling like a success and then kind of hitting this huge hiccup um, that has, you know, really affected all of our communities, um, our employees, uh, you know, our families, even though, you know, my parents are in California, they're incredibly upset and sad that, you know, all of the things that Natalia and I have done this year kind of like to the to the detriment of, of other things that we might have been able to do in our personal lives have like, you know, kind of hit this, this wall in a way. Um, and additionally, it's just kind of disappointing that as a small business, we're forced to make this decision as opposed to, you know, our government deciding, hey, you know what, like, it's not safe for people to be outside and spending money in the ways that uh, small businesses require to stay open and that they will take care of us. But I understand that it's a really complex issue, and obviously that's me thinking about myself um, and my peers primarily. Um, I know there's a ton of folks that need services right now, Um, and it's just kind of uh, indicative of how broken our systems are. So, you know, so yeah, that's that's my thoughts and my feelings, Um, and I just hope everyone the best. All right, stay safe. You can hear this story and others like it on episode 101 of The Line, wherever you listen to podcasts. We hope our listeners stay safe as we continue to practice social distancing during the coronavirus pandemic. HRN will keep making food radio from our home studios around the country. Next week's episode will be all about the ways people have found to make connections with one another, even as they stay physically apart. Meet and Three is produced by Kat Johnson, Matt Patterson, Katie Mosman-Wadler, Dylan Hoyer, and me, Hannah Forden. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs, in partnership with City Council. Meet and Three is powered by Simplecast and is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio. And please stay in touch. Whether you have a story idea or you just want to say hey, write us at ideas at meetin3.nyc. That's all spelled out.